Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Happy Thursday, everyone. Fee here with our second summer re-release. This week, we are throwing it back all the way to our episode on post-racing welfare. In this episode, I sat down with Jen Kravchik, who used to be the head of the welfare team at Racing Victoria and now works independently in this space. And she took me through the Racing Victoria reset program that she played a big part in developing um, during her time at Racing Victoria, but also a little bit about what she does now sort of as an independent agent in this space. So if you've ever been interested in how our lovely racehorses are protected post-racing. This is a fantastic episode to listen to and I hope you enjoy it. But before we head to that episode, I just wanted to say congratulations to Liz C who left us a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts. She is the lucky winner of our third merch pack. Thank you so much, Liz, and to everyone who submitted a review over on Apple Podcasts. This really helps new listeners discover the podcast within the app. So thank you so much for all of you who took the time to write a review. I've had a lot of fun reading them. So thank you so much. It means a lot. Okay, let's get stuck into this week's episode. This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings. And now with their pink bonus series, there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership. That's right, Grace. With the bonus prize money up for grabs, the Pink Bonus Series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing, making Inglis a fabulous partner to ladies who punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Hello and welcome to Ladies Who Punt. We are the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time. My name is Fiona Blair and I will be your host today. My usual co-host Grace Ramage is away on holidays in lovely sunny Europe, but I'm here with you all in cold wet wintry Australia to keep Ladies Who Punt content in your ears And this week, we are marking week three, halfway through my six-week interview series. Now, this week's topic is a really important one, one that I am incredibly interested and passionate about and so thrilled to be joined by a guest to learn more about, and that is equine welfare, especially post-racing. In 2019, the ABC produced a Four Corners episode titled The Dark Side of Australia's Horse Racing Industry. And for those who haven't seen it or heard of this episode, it was pretty confronting. There was some footage of horses going through an abattoir system in Queensland with a few of those horses being ex-racing thoroughbreds. The Horses were treated very poorly at this abattoir when it was all filmed 
you know, undercover by the ABC. And as a result, there was quite a significant public outcry from the episode. And from what you see on the episode, you know, it's completely understandable. It's very confronting content and, you know, the way those animals were treated at that abattoir at the time of filming was incredibly sad and disgraceful. Off the back of that documentary and the public outrage, Racing Victoria put together a massive funding package for the equine welfare department. Now, my guest today is someone who is very well qualified in equine welfare. At the time of the release of the ABC Four Corners program, she was the general manager of equine welfare at Racing Victoria. Her name is Jen Kravchik, and we actually met very serendipitously. So a few months ago, Grace and I attended the Victorian Wakeful Club Lady of Racing Awards, and I just so happened to be seated next to Jen, who was a nominee for the Lady of Racing Awards, and subsequently went on to win that award. Uh, that day and it was an incredible event and Jen and I got chatting and I was like this is someone we need to interview on Ladies Who Punt. So I'm really thrilled to be able to bring you this interview today where Jen and I discuss her role at Racing Victoria and the strategies she implemented while she was there and now having since left Racing Victoria what she's up to with her own consultancy business working with ownership groups to help them get the best welfare outcomes for their racehorses. Before we get into that chat though guys I have to do my housekeeping I told you I was going to be doing it every week so First thing we need to do is make sure that we are subscribed or following the podcast wherever we're listening. Also, leave us a review while you're there. We would would love to read your thoughts on the podcast. If you haven't yet, sign up for our weekly newsletter. It's called Weekly Mail with Ladies Who Punt. It goes out every Friday morning and has a deep dive into a topic of racing, as well as some fashion content, our community black book, and our off-the-track recommendations, which have been incredibly popular so far from the feedback we've received. Lastly, what you can do is find us on socials. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So follow us there for further updates and extra content. Okay, guys, now the housekeeping is done. Let's go straight into the interview with Jen. So have you had anything to drink? Yeah, but only a couple. And I ate a big meal. Okay, breathe into the device, please. One long, continuous breath. I also drank plenty of water, and I'm a pretty big guy as well. Okay, you've blown over 0.05, so I'm going to need you to step out of the car. I'm not going to lose my licence, am I? I didn't drink that much. Stop kidding yourself. If you drink, don't drive. A message from the TAC. Jen. I'm so excited to have you on today. We met at the Wakeful Club's Lady of Racing Awards, where I very randomly was sitting next to you and you ended up winning the Lady of Racing Award for 2023. Congratulations. And you won that award because of all of your work in the area of equine welfare. So that's what we've got you on to chat about today. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, that was an awesome day. The Wakeful Club do an incredible job uh, recognising women throughout the year and I felt so special on the day and 
and having you on my table was an added bonus. And we also had Penny Penfold, who was crowned the spirit of racing. Mm, yeah, it was such a good day. And yeah, fabulous table of ladies. I think we'll have a few of them on the podcast, no doubt, in the future. Now, I want to talk to you about your work specifically while you were at Racing Victoria, where you were the general manager of equine welfare. Tell me about how you came into that role. Yeah, so it's a it could be quite a long story, but um, I'll, I'll I'll keep it short. I was in I've in racing across uh, British horse racing and Victorian racing for sixteen years in total. I my degree was initially equine sports science, and from there I graduated into a graduate program at British Horse Racing. And they placed me in the integrity department. So I was a little disappointed uh, that they placed me in integrity at the beginning. I didn't really understand why, because I thought I wanted a more practical horse facing role. Uh, But, you know, I think within six to 12 months, I realized that I was in the right space because integrity was where uh, we had the policies and the processes where we could protect the welfare of the horse, whether that be through the anti-doping, through the licensing processes, through the welfare investigations so it was my most of my career actually prior to my my welfare role was in an integrity space and about 10 years into my career the equine welfare role came up at racing victoria and it was the right place in the right time for me uh these roles had previously been uh, all held by vets and there was a new sort of focus on a sort of project manager type role with a more of an animal welfare science focus um so yeah so that's that's the the, sh- the short version of, of me getting into that gm role at racing victoria and you were in that role at a really pivotal time uh for the industry so in 2019 the abc four corners documentary that was titled the dark side of australia's horse racing industry came out and it caused a bit of public uproar because of the content in it. Could you describe this to our listeners who haven't seen or heard of this documentary what the subject matter was that caused the public uproar? Yeah, well, it was some pretty disturbing footage of horses at a knackery in Queensland. And, uh, well, the particular focus for our industry was the thoroughbreds involved. And there were a couple of angles um, one being the treatment of the horses, you know, that was actually illegal treatment of the horses by the people in the facility. And then also the the idea that there were retiring thoroughbreds going to knackeries um, and being treated in that way. Yeah, so the, I guess the public outcry is, you know, why are these animals that are bred for racing, you know, and essentially for human entertainment, why do they end up here at the at the end of their lives and the two angles are really important because you know the abattoir system in my personal opinion provides a service and I think we need to create a you know environment a supportive environment for those who are working at the abattoirs and education so that all animals horses cows sheep pigs that end up there, chickens, are treated with respect and dignity. And I think that's a really important conversation that we as a whole society should definitely be having. And then, of course, the angle of of the horses and, and how they ended up there. Now, 
this documentary sort of triggered a chain of events. Tell me, for Racing Victoria, tell me about how your role and team changed post this documentary. Yeah, so I had been in the role of Equine Welfare for coming up to 12 months when the documentary aired. And in that previous 12 months, it had been myself and one other person in the team. And we um, worked on, you know, in consultation with the broader industry, a strategic plan for equine welfare over the coming three years. And that was, it's not widely known, but that was actually endorsed in the July before the documentary. And, uh, you know, on reflection, I'm not sure who I thought was going to deliver half of what was in that plan because it was uh, pretty, um, it had lots of high hopes. Um, and when when the documentary happened, there within a couple of months, the Racing Victoria board committed $25 million over the next three years to expedite that plan with a focus on post-racing and traceability. So with that, the that's what enabled the growth of the team from two to seven. In fact, we had um, we had our third team member ready to start the week after uh, the documentary aired and we had to give her a call and just check that she was still going to come. And that, that person is now the current uh, general manager for equine welfare, Melissa Ware. So we're very pleased that she did. She did come. Yeah, so we the, the team grew to seven um, and then the focus was on post-racing. Yes, and I want to quiz you about the framework that you put in place while you were at Racing Victoria. From my knowledge, it's a lettering system, A, B, C, D and E. Can you take us through those different steps of, you know, classifying horses post-racing? Yeah, so... We, we came up with the idea of categorising horses just to really enable the conversations around A, building the programmes and also being able to have a conversation with um, owners um, and trainers about where their horse fit in the framework and what the, was the most appropriate programme. It just it really aided the conversation. And the way that we describe them is that you, horses retiring from racing can be in a sliding scale with, uh, de- depending on the different uh, factors uh, relating to them, you know, whether it's their age, their sex, their success to that date. Um, and category A horses were sort of the super desirable horses. They're physically, mentally sound and um, possibly even will be sought out and purchased by equestrians uh, for their for for their activities and and. I think it's not necessarily widely known, but the Acknowledge Retrainer Network are not always paid for their services. So when they select a horse, they have to know that they're going to be able to retrain that horse and and at least make some of their money back. And I know they don't always make the money back, but but what we acknowledge in that process is that generally um, when the Acknowledge Retrainer takes on one of those horses without being paid, they fall into that category A category. And then we've got the category B horses that are physically sound, but just not super desirable. And this is probably the really interesting one that we figured out over time is that there are a group of horses that will retire. And on paper, there's no 
there's nothing stopping them having a second career, but no one's picking them up. And it might be because they're a little bit older. It might be that they're not very flash. Um, they're just another bay horse. I've got two bays, so I've got nothing against them. But uh, you know, they're just not <laughs> catching people's um, attention. Eyes. Yeah, <laughs> they're not. They're not Chautauqua. No, they're not Chautauqua. And um, <laughs> so they. So the bee horses fall into the reset program and that's where Racing Victoria funds the retraining. And so that's the, the idea of you. Um, they're incentivizing people to take on those horses for retraining and therefore giving them a leg up to their next career. And then the next category down, category C horses, um, of a temporary uh, physical issue that will, with a bit of time, or rehab, they can then become a category B or a C horse and then go into the uh, the funded retraining. Or even after rehab, they might become um, super desirable and someone will buy that horse uh, for, their, for their own purposes. And then the next category down uh, is category D. And those horses are mentally sound, but not physically sound and, and not likely to be physically sound enough to have a meaningful um, second career. Um, and that's probably one of the more challenging spots uh, because we're, uh, what do you do with those horses? And, and very early doors, we that was what kept stumping us and thinking, we go, this 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 can it, this blows the whole thing up it just won't work if if all the horses are category d it just like we it can't it's not sustainable and where we came around to and over time we were proven right is that there aren't many horses in that category uh so it's not like you you don't need you know fields upon fields upon fields for these companion style horses um and so also these are the horses other side. that sorry Jean, these are horses that are physically like unable to be ridden so they just spend their days in the paddock as like professional lawnmowers which is not a bad Absolutely. way to live out your life <laughs> yes indeed and my my two aren't far off that right now Mine's like so, that, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah exactly um and the other piece of the puzzle there that gave us confidence is that there are things you can do that limit the number of horses that retire in that category d so it is within the industry's control to make sure that the majority of horses are retiring in that category a to c um which so that would that kind of gave us a um a little bit of confidence around the framework and then the last uh, category that we talked about is the category e which are the horses that are physically or behaviorally or mentally unsound and not going to have um the, have good prospects for a, even a, a retirement in a paddock, whether that's for safety reasons or for their own welfare. And that's where Racing Vic have got their on-site humane euthanasia program. So it's acknowledging that there are some horses where euthanasia is the right welfare outcome for them. But in those circumstances, Racing Victoria's position, and I support it, is that that, that should be done at home. So um, euthanasia at home and that's, that's a funded program involving vets um, and knackeries and the, the, the criteria that means that the horse either has to have a veterinary certificate stating that the horse is behaviorally unsound or um, physically unsound 
Um, this The owner could also sign off a declaration that the horse is behaviorally unsound. And then there's also an avenue for horses that have had two failed rehoming attempts. And one of those rehoming attempts has to be via Racing Victoria's program and, and framework. And in the time that I was there, no horse um, entered the euthanasia program because they couldn't be rehomed. Because if you think about all those categories and all those different options and a team of seven. It was a home for everyone. Yeah. And so just to be clear, like using my own horse hypothetically, like say, I mean, let's touch with this doesn't happen, but say my horse, Jack and Obey, lives at home with me, ex-racehorse. Uh, this is his first home since he retired. Say he sustained a paddock injury that was not going to be able to be healed or fixed in a way that he was going to live a comfortable life. Can I access that euthanasia program for him or is it just for like racing stables or, um, you know, professional operations? Yeah, so it's for all um, horses with a tie to Victorian racing, so whether that's bred in the state, retired in the state, trained in the state. It's a, a lot, of, uh, most of the framework is built around preventing poor welfare outcomes. So it's not about having barriers to which horses can access the programs. It's about preventing um, them falling into poor situations. Well, that's really positive. And I guess this euthanasia program is the exact, you know, solution to what was causing all the upset from the ABC Four Corners program where people didn't have access to a humane way to euthanize their horse. And so the knackery, the abattoirs was their only option. And I think it's great that Racing Victoria for, you know, racehorses, that we have that program so that people do have an option. They don't have to make that tough decision, that awful decision to have to send their horse off to an abattoir. They can have their horse humanely euthanized at home. I think that's fantastic and, yeah really great work. So thank you so much for explaining that framework to me because now you are on the other side of it, aren't you? So you've left Racing Victoria 12 months ago and you now have your own equine welfare consultancy business. So first you're at Racing Victoria developing the framework and now you're on the other side helping ownership groups implement this framework. So I guess the first thing I want to talk to you about is the responsibility that owners have to their racehorse in terms of their post-racing life because you know when people own a racehorse like it's not like when they own their their dog or their cat where they see their dog and their cat every day they you know interact with it every day some people who own a racehorse may never see that horse in their life yet it is their horse that they own and so the responsibility of their you know, post-racing life and all of their, their welfare outcomes during the time that they own that horse is on them. So talk to me about ownership responsibility and then how you are facilitating ownership groups with that responsibility, I guess. Yeah, so um, it was something we, we thought about a lot when we were developing the framework. In reality, you're right, um, owners are responsible for their horse, but they maybe don't always see it like that. There's a slight conflict with trying to bring new owners into the industry and make it's really easy, it's really fun, you have a great time, 
there's nothing to worry about, uh, but also letting them understand that this is an animal um, and the horse will the average age of retirement is five. They can live to 30. There's a whole life after racing that you need to be thinking about. But equally, it's not terrifying and there's frameworks in place. And actually, the majority of horses have really good post-racing uh, prospects. And being able to um, have those conversations confidently with, don't be frightened to tell owners that actually being an owner brings it with the responsibility, but that's great because you own an animal and animals are great. And there's so much more than race days. And um, and you, you can see the joy that people who do get to go and meet their horse um, that it brings. And yeah, so what I've realized since leaving uh, Racing Victoria is that there are, well, in fact, I knew this anyway, but the majority of owners want to do the responsible thing, but sometimes, and, and actually a large proportion of them do know what to do. And, and there's actually a number of syndicates have got dedicated people for that uh, purpose and already have existing relationships with retrainers. But there are some um, groups that are larger ownership groups that I've been working with and they, yes, the framework's there, but they don't necessarily have the skills or the networks in-house uh, to to put that into action. And the first conversation I had, I sort of said, well, you know, you just do this, this and this. And there was a bit of silence for, you know, a few weeks. And then they came back to me and said, well, you know, uh, we don't know how. Um, and it, it, I realised that actually... There, it's not just a case of throwing out the framework and hope and telling people to action it. There is there is a requirement to sort of support um, ownership groups through the process, like a a learning process for them. Absolutely, on how to use the framework, I guess, and you know who to contact and who to access to help their horse post racing. And it's great that you've identified that, that it's something that people need to be taught. And once they've done it once or twice, they're probably very capable of doing it on their own going forward. Yeah, for sure. And and it's building confidence in their own decision-making ability. If you've, if they've his, sort of historically, the relationship's been at arm's length from the horse in its day-to-day -day life, they maybe won't feel confident in making um, the decision in relation to their transition and post-racing. Um, so wor working through that with them and, and what are the things that are important to consider? And that also sort of extends to some other things that I've been working um, with different people on is the how do they find their barometer for what what is their ownership group? What is their organisation? What do they stand for? And they've obviously chosen to be a part of this industry and there are reasons um, and and that they have that they're comfortable with being a part of this industry so how do they sort form a position as an organization and then communicate them also if they can identify things that they can see an improvement in and things that are within their control and things that they're maybe not directly within their control um but they can influence um and how can they start to be part of the conversation so Things like that are within their control, um, the the trainers that they um, engage, what are their um, 
regimes that promote positive post-racing um, outcomes. Uh, what and what can they learn from those trainers to ensure that the that as many horses as possible have the best uh, post-racing outcomes? My final question for you, with all of your expertise, if you were the owner of a racehorse looking to send that horse to a trainer, what are the things that you would be looking for that would signify to you that this trainer has a holistic view of this horse, not just as a racehorse, but as their, as an animal who's going to have a very long life once racing's finished? What are the things you're looking for in a trainer? Yeah, so... Um... In those initial conversations, having the trainer acknowledge that the racing career is the first career of many, and also the fact that every decision made from day to day to which races to their preparation will actually impact on their post-racing um, options as well. And one of the like one of the key things for me is education. Um, I strongly believe that good horses will find good homes but it goes for any animal I as well I think um animals that are well educated are a pleasure to be around um animals that have been handled appropriately throughout their life generally have good temperaments and those horses will find um find good homes so it's all around the the handling of the horses from day one the education uh before racing during their downtime, maybe some cross training uh, with some little bit of flat work, some dressage. I know some trainers let their horses go out to uh, riding club rallies or even trail riding um, during their holidays. And then in the same vein, appropriate spelling practices. Racing Victoria's veterinary team have got uh, some really good research uh, around spelling practices for prevention of injury. Um, and I think that's something that's really important for trainers to be across as well. Um, and probably the final thing is around management and understanding the horse's overall needs, um, looking at the, the five domains welfare model um, from the horse's uh, yeah, physical and mental needs and behavioural throughout their training life. Well, Jen, it's been fabulous to chat to you today. I just want to say thank you for all of the work you've done in this space because it's so important to our horses and so important to our industry. So thank you for championing this area. And, you know, I know that you've dedicated so much of yourself to it, um, especially during that time at Racing Victoria. I know it was very intensive for you. So thank you for that, for, for your work and your commitment. And secondly, thank you for being on the podcast today. It's been great to be able to chat to you and pick your brain about this stuff. Thank you very much, Jim. I really appreciate getting the opportunity to talk about it. Um, and thank you for your insightful questions. How good was that interview with Jen? I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I loved quizzing Jen about all of her work. She's such a trailblazer in this industry, such a hardworking, passionate woman who has just left her mark on this industry for the better. And I think she's made an incredible legacy for herself and she's still got plenty left to do, I'm sure. She's incredibly ambitious and driven to make further progress in this area. And we can't wait to see what she does with her consultancy business. It's such a great idea to have someone who can help ownership groups 
with the practicalities of moving their horse on from a career in racing to their second or third careers off the track. So she has done a fantastic service to our industry and continues to do so. And yeah, just so honored to have her on and to have her chatting with me. For anyone after more information on welfare and on what the life of a racehorse is like, I would really encourage you to head over to the Kick Up for Racing website. It's an incredible resource that delivers really interesting and factual information in a very easy and digestible way. So that's something I would definitely check out. Now, we will be taking a break next week, so no episode next week, but I will be back the following week with the final three of my interview series for Ladies Who Park before Grace joins me back in the studio ahead of the spring. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you in a couple of weeks. There are plenty of things to think about on a road trip, like which 90s playlist to sing along to. But you should also be thinking about the risk of a bushfire. Check the fire danger ratings throughout your trip. Download the Vic Emergency app. How well do you know fire? Authorised by the Victorian Government, One Treasury Place, Melbourne. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.